How is acceptance a gift of recovery for me? Welcome to episode 381 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Ashley, Cindy, Sandy, Dillette, Jessica, and Teresa. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Ashley, Cindy, Sandy, Dillette, Jessica, and Teresa for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. As some of you have noticed, I've been silent for a while. It has to do with a number of factors that I'll talk about some of them after this talk that I'm sharing. This is a talk that I gave at an online conference in March of 2021. Obviously, my life situation has changed somewhat since then, so this reflects the events of the time. I called this talk, Acceptance is a Gift of Recovery. Hi, my name is Spencer, and I am a grateful recovering member of Al-Anon. Thank you for inviting me to speak today, and I hope that what I say touches at least one other person. Let's open with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. What I wanted to talk about today, since the theme of the conference is Gifts of Recovery, is one of the gifts that recovery has given me, which is the gift of acceptance. I thought I'd start with a little bit of what you might call theory, and then we'll get into how that actually applies to me. When I first thought about acceptance, I was like, isn't that giving up? Isn't that saying this bad thing that's happening is okay? Because that's what it felt like. All this bad stuff's happening in my life, and I just have to take it? What the heck? Why do you want me to do that? But what I have come to understand is that acceptance really is just about recognizing reality for what it is and understanding that I can't change other people. I can't change situations necessarily, people, places, and situations, right? When I started, when I first got that gift of desperation that brought me into the rooms of recovery, into the rooms of Al-Anon, I was not accepting my loved one's alcoholism. I was not accepting her drinking behavior. I was not accepting the effects that that drinking behavior had on me, the ways it was causing me to act. I was in denial that there was a problem, although it was pretty obvious. And I thought that I was supposed to change it. And that is not acceptance. That's crying against the night. That's oh my God, it's dark out. I don't want it to be dark out. Well, you know, it's dark out. So what acceptance means for me now is that it opens possibilities for change. And and I want to talk about how that happens. 
when I accept reality for what it is, then it helps me to see through things like inventory and self-examination and prayer and meditation. It helps me to see what I might be able to do and what I can't do. And then I can pick up the things that I can change. I can do the next right thing. And that might not get me away from where I am right now, but it's a step. The other thing that acceptance does for me is that it reduces my expectations of what should be, what will be, what might be, what other people are going to do, and thereby reduces my resentments when things don't turn out that way. I have had all their lives expectations about what my children would do, how they would think, what they would choose to do in their life, how they would choose to behave. I was mostly wrong. Any of you who have children can probably identify with that. My children continue to make decisions that I didn't expect, sometimes decisions that I don't like. They're still my children. I still love them. And I have a choice here. When a child makes a decision, and I have to preface this by saying my children are 30 years old now, okay? They're still my children, but they're also adults, and they're also living their own lives, and they're living their lives in ways that are not the way I would live my life. And in some cases, I could choose to cut off contact because I really don't like what's happening, but I don't want to do that. And so when I accept they are who they are, then I can make a choice about how I will interact with them. I might choose to not talk about certain subjects. I might choose to limit contact, or I might choose to embrace wholeheartedly their decision, even though it's not what I was expecting. So at the beginning, I had to accept. I know step one says admitted, but really for me, it's about acceptance, accepting that I am powerless over somebody else's alcoholism. I am powerless over the effect that alcohol has had on my life directly and through other people. That's acceptance. And once I gained that acceptance, then, and really only then, am I able to move forward through the rest of the steps. Because if I don't accept my powerlessness, why am I asking for help? Why am I asking a higher power for help? I accepted my loved one's alcoholism for what it was, and that opened up through the help of meetings and literature and a sponsor and steps that opened up ways in which I could be with and support my loved one while she was still in the throes of her alcoholism, active alcoholism, without making myself nuts, trying to fix it. That's one of the, the gifts that I got from Elena is understanding how to support rather than fix. goes along with the acceptance. But more recently, and by recently, I would say the past, I don't know, four or five years, where acceptance has played a huge role in my serenity, in my peace of mind, in my ability to sleep at night, is in accepting the aging and illnesses of my parents. 
They were born in 1929 and 1931, so they've been on this earth for a while. First my mother, and then some years later my father, started developing signs of dementia. This was not what I wanted. This was taking away from me the people that had been there all my life and changing them into somebody else. And of course, at the beginning, I denied it. They're just getting old. When we get older, we forget. I forget stuff. I'm not that old yet. But then it started to become obvious and it turned into anger. Why is this happening? My mother's mother died of maybe Alzheimer's. We don't know for sure, but that's sure what it looked like on the outside. This is something she had been afraid of a good part of her adult life since her mother started to decline. And there she was. Why did this have to happen? Why can't we fix this yet? But we can't fix it. The other thing that was happening there, and I only see my parents a few times a year. They live about 400 miles away. So I can see them, although this year it's been difficult. Uh, But I'm not with them every day, and so sometimes the change would be pretty obvious when I would show up after six months or something away. At the beginning, the forgetfulness, the repeating something that we just talked about five minutes ago, was triggering me. And it took me a little while to figure out where that sort of rush of anger was coming from. And that rush of anger was coming from the similarity to the alcoholic behavior that I thought we had left behind with my loved one in recovery now for a while. But that trigger, that emotion, that reaction was still there. Okay, but now I have a program that I can look at that and I can recognize that's what's happening. And I can start to apply the same tools that I applied in the alcoholic situation to this dementia situation of recognizing that, yes, my mother, my father are behaving in these ways that, frankly, I don't like, um, that I would wish they hadn't, that they weren't, but they are because they're in the grips of a disease. And to be honest, dementia is a much easier disease to accept for most people than alcoholism. But both of them manifest in behavior. So I was getting triggered by that. And, and when I recognized that, I could use my tools. I could ask for help. And, and I could take that little pause to recognize my reaction and not act on it. To recognize the emotional reaction and not act on it. So that was early on. As the disease progressed, as diseases, particularly that disease, does, as the person that I had known slipped further and further away, I was grieving the loss of who they were. One year, I guess it was 2013, it was a little while ago now, I was driving one of my children to Connecticut from Michigan to take them to school. And one of the routes to go there goes right by where my parents live. I didn't take that route on the way to Connecticut. It's a little bit longer, too. That was a good reason. But I knew... I had been basically avoiding going to see them that summer because I just didn't like what I saw, and I didn't want to. But I knew that I really needed 
for myself and for them to stop on the way back, spend the night with them. And so I did. We actually met at a restaurant near where they were living because we were going to have a dinner out there. And it was easier for me to stop there than to drive to their house and then back, whatever. I got there before they did. And when they got there, my mother was using a walker at that point. She had mobility issues. And they had to put up a ramp on the stairs because it was in an old house. And then people who were in the restaurant had to move out of the way so she could get through to the, the table they were taking us to. And everybody was very considerate and and friendly and here i was like oh my god we're imposing on these people to move out of the way why can't my mother just be the person she was why does she have to be so slow and all these thoughts going through my head that i didn't want them to be there but they were but i had told myself before i got there and and i use this tool sometimes that i'm going to not have expectations about how this evening goes And I'm going to engage and enjoy what does happen, you know. And there was the moment when she picked a meal off the menu, and then when it came, she didn't know what it was. She had forgotten what she had picked, and twinge, twinge in the brain there. But I was able to set that aside, accept that she was who she was at that moment, and spend that really pleasant dinner sitting out on a porch with them, good food and and company, and... I was really glad I stopped for a number of reasons. One, because I was able, by accepting what was happening, I was able to enjoy it. And number two, because it broke that cycle of not wanting to go visit. Fast forward a few years, and we can tell that that they are declining further. And my brother and my sister and I, when visiting one summer, we had talked about it would be probably good for them to get into some kind of assisted living situation before it becomes absolutely necessary. They had built a retirement home on a hill up above a lake in upstate New York. Beautiful location, gorgeous views. This was the the home that they had built to basically, I think, live in for the rest of their lives. And we brought up this idea with my father of, you know, you guys have talked about this place in the city that you have a bunch of friends provides various levels of assisted living. And have you thought about moving there? And my, my father basically shut down that conversation. He said, if I did that, I wouldn't be able to have breakfast in the morning looking out at this beautiful view over this lake that I love. They lived 30 miles from the nearest hospital down a half mile dirt road. And I mean down. And we were concerned that if something happened, it would be difficult for them to get help. And as it turned out, it wasn't. But we're like, okay, that plan doesn't work. Now what? And what happened eventually, and I think it was maybe a year or so later, my brother, who was the, of the three of us, the one who had the most flexibility in his life, moved back to live with them and be their caregiver. So they had in-home support because they weren't going to move. Somewhere along in there, my father's dementia really went into high gear and he went downhill fast. I think it took a couple of years, but he really went downhill fast. After my brother had moved there, my mother fell somehow. Nobody was in the room. 
we think she was trying to move from the dining chair to her armchair. She fell and, and broke her leg in like five pieces. So there we go, ambulance, et cetera, et cetera. And she got to the hospital. They repaired her leg. She went into a rehab facility to learn how to walk again. And the rehab facility said, she can't go home until you can show us that there's 24-hour care in place. Well, that kicked us into a new action of finding caregivers who could come in so that my brother didn't have to be, you know, awake 24 hours a day, which obviously doesn't work. And then, of course, a year ago, just about a year ago, my father ended up in the hospital with, I think, a urinary tract infection. It doesn't really matter. And he crashed mentally, totally became incoherent in the hospital. And the doctor said, we can't do anything for him. We're not willing to submit him to surgery in his condition. It wouldn't be good for him. He might not survive it. We think he should go home on palliative care, basically on hospice. Again, we knew this was coming, but now we're faced with it. Now it's real. It was a relatively easy decision to make. It was not a decision that we wanted to make, uh, but we made it. And last month, he continued to decline. He got to the point where he really couldn't get out of bed very well by himself. We got a hospital bed moved in for him. And last month, I got a call from my brother, said he stopped eating. And I knew what that meant. That meant that he had a few days. But then he ate a little bit, and I thought, okay, I, I have time to put things in order at work, at home for me to leave for some period of time to, to be there, you know, get a COVID test, that sort of thing. And so I was planning to go on Thursday. Wednesday night, my brother called and said he's gone. I could have spent the eight or nine hours in the car on Thursday kicking myself for not coming a day earlier but I didn't. I knew that I had done, as we say in program, I had done the best I could with what I knew at the time. And to be honest, to be there for his last few breaths, while it would have been a meaningful experience, I don't think it would have changed things a whole lot. I was able to see him. I asked my brother to hold him, hold off on calling the uh, funeral home to come pick him up until I could see him. I want to close with some words that I spoke to an audio journal, if you will, while I was there, which speaks to my acceptance of what happened, I think. And that is such a gift. I know I could not have said this at that time if I had not had the years that I've had in recovery. I said, I'm currently standing in a field outside my parents' house, where a few days ago my father died. I'm looking at a snow-covered field with dead grasses and other plants sticking up through it, apparently dead, because I know that underneath the snow, the plants still live. There are seeds that will sprout in the spring, and in fact, they are right now giving life to a flock of wild turkeys. So it is with my father's life. He planted seeds in many other people's lives that continue to grow and flower and flourish. 
And while his body, his physical being is gone, he continues to live on in all of us in whom he planted those seeds. He's gone. I can't change that. But I can accept the gift that his life gave to me and so many other people and use that as I continue on my journey of recovery. Thank you so much. As I mentioned up front, some of you have written to ask if I'm okay, and the answer is, yes, I'm okay. I've been busy and distracted recently. I took a couple of weeks off of work to go work with my brother and sister at our parents' house to start cleaning out the accumulation of 70 years of togetherness, 90 years of life in preparation for selling the house. We knew that in two weeks we were only going to make a small dent. Our focus was on the two ends of the spectrum. It's sort of a triage operation, I guess you might call it. What are the things that we can just throw away? What are the things that we absolutely want to keep and who wants to keep them? Once we've identified the easy categories, we can start digging into the middle. And I don't think we really got anywhere towards the middle in the last two weeks. One of the things that I valued from that activity, besides being able to spend a significant amount of time with my brother and sister, I in particular live in a different state. I see them a few times a year for a few days. So having almost two weeks together was a gift. It really was. The other gift that I found, and I didn't know I was going to find, is we started to do the the archaeology on our parents' stuff, is the gift of remembering who and how they were earlier in their lives and discovering bits and pieces that we had not been present for as well. My parents met maybe 1950, 1949, I'm not sure exactly, at college. It's Worthmore College in Pennsylvania. And so they had, at the time of my father's death in 2021, they had something like 70 years of shared experience. That's just amazing to me, and also a model for how I might be able to, to live my life. And gives me gratitude that I found the Al-Anon program that enabled me to stay with my wife as she found her path to recovery, and I found my own path to recovery, and that we are celebrating over 40 years together. I was asked recently, how do you guys do that? How are you married for so long and together for so long? And one part of the answer is that we both had good models in our parents' relationships. And part of the answer is working on it. One of my tasks as we were cleaning up is going through the literally over 10,000 photographs. I, I really have no idea how many photographs my father took throughout his life. He worked for Kodak. He started taking pictures as a child. 
I have found photographs that he took from maybe his late teens up until a few years before he died when he lost the ability or the interest in taking pictures anymore as his disease took him from us. There are file cabinets full. There are shoe boxes full. There are shelves full of photographs. I made a dent. I, I went through and scanned what I felt were the memories that I or we as a family wanted to keep from most of the 1960s, most of the 1970s, and a few scattered years further out. A real gift was finding a set of photographs from a trip they took to New York in 1954 when they were 23 and 25 years old. I never knew them when they were that young, you know. Being able to remember and to rediscover who they were and also to see in some of those photographs the the love that they had for each other throughout their lives. I'm really grateful to have been able to do that because it helps to not erase but to balance the memories of how they were in the last few years of their lives, which are less pleasant to remember. Anyway, so that happened. Also, in that two weeks, we held a memorial service for my mother's life in person and on Zoom, because clearly many of her, their friends are elderly and perhaps not able or not ready to venture out to large in-person gatherings. I totally understand that. And also so that those who just weren't able to travel to be there were able to experience the service. That was a very, as you might imagine, a very emotional event. It was really interesting. My brother and my sister and I each shared memories of our parents, and there was almost maybe no overlap between what we shared. Maybe that's not surprising since we have been part of their lives for over 60 years, each of us. So not too surprising that in five minutes or so we would not hit on the same things. One of the things that I think we all, three of us, shared and also some other people who shared their memories of her mentioned was that she was a helping person. And in this podcast and in my shares at meetings, I've talked about how I learned codependency at my mother's knee. But, you know, as we learn in looking at steps six and seven, for example, any particular character trait can be an asset when expressed in one way and a defect when maybe taken to extremes. And that is certainly true of desire to help and desire to support people who are in need. It becomes more of a defect when I start trying to help people who don't want and don't need my help and when I start to ignore my own needs as I'm trying to fulfill other people's needs. But wanting to be of help, wanting to be of support is also clearly an asset and she demonstrated that throughout her life. Hoping to be able to share what I said at that service in a later episode, um, waiting to see if the service was recorded and if I can just get it from there or if I have to try to reproduce it, which 
it won't be quite the same because although I wrote it out, I also ad-libbed a few things and the emotion's going to be a little different because time has passed and I'm not standing in front of a room full of people looking at me. The feedback there is sometimes pretty strong. So that's part of what's been going on and part of what has kept me from publishing on the podcast. I also had a couple of people lined up to um, do an episode with me and they had to postpone for personal reasons. Trying to get back in the groove again because when I fall away, it's really easy to stay falling away, as I'm sure you have experienced at times. So, yeah, that's what's going on with me right now. And I hope that something I said in this episode spoke to you. Thank you for listening. May the understanding, love, and peace of this program growing you one day at a time. Goodbye.